0: Hello, this is Brandi Cook reading an article for Pastor Rance Cook for Prophetic Sword Ministries entitled, The Trinity is It Biblical Doctrine. Dear friends and readers, this week's article examines the doctrine of the Trinity. It tackles an extremely complex subject, one that many people say is a mystery and cannot fully be understood. Frankly, in my opinion, It is difficult for any serious student of the Bible to miss this absolutely Biblical doctrine, but many do. Also, it is not a deep mystery at all, but one that must be understood through the lens of Biblical Scripture. So, to begin, please allow me to state categorically that the Biblical doctrine of the Trinity is very real and valid in every aspect. I will give you lots of Scripture to chew on a bit later, but want to first acknowledge who does not believe in or teach the Trinity. Why would I waste time doing that? Because some of these folks just might come knocking on your door. In all my years of ministry, few I have talked to can actually speak scripturally to the Trinity of the Bible. Most believe in it, but few can explain it. In this day and age, there are so many cults plying the waters of the average neighborhood that it can be confusing when they throw out of context scriptures at you or try and leave you with extra-biblical magazines and things not actually reflected in the page of the Bible. Both within and without Christianity, there are several organizations whose teaching deny the Trinity. Among them are, one, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, two, Jehovah's Witness, three, Iglesia Ni Cristo, four, Christadelphians, five, Christian Scientists, six, Don Bible Students, seven, Living Church of God, eight, Oneness, Pentecostals, nine, members of the Church of God of International, 10. Unitarian Universalist Christians 11. The Way International 12. The Church of God International 13. United Church of God 14. Some independent churches whose pastors have been self-appointed Don't allow yourself to ever be fooled just because someone comes to your door in behalf of a church or organization that has the name of Jesus in the title or claims to be Christian. Before you buy, sign up, or let them in the door, Check with your local ministerial alliance to ensure you are speaking with representatives of a reputable local Christian church. The no-trinity folks are generally referred to as non-trinitarians, or in some case, anti-trinitarians. There are an entire plethora of explanations among these people as to why they deny the trinity, which would take pages and pages of article to fully report, so I will narrow that down to only a few. They frequently claim, 1. Jesus Christ was a created being by the Father and therefore cannot be God. 2. Nowhere in the Bible does the word Trinity appear. 3. The doctrine of three personalities within one God violates the scripture in Deuteronomy six Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Also, they refer to a scripture in Mark within which Jesus himself quotes that scripture. Therefore, they say, he himself acknowledges that he is not God. 4. Nowhere in scripture does it ever expressly say that Jesus Christ is God, nor does he ever make that claim. So, in the spirit of refutation, let's take those bogus claims in reverse order. The nowhere in scripture statement is frankly most absurd. The prophet Isaiah chapter 9 is speaking about a future time when the Christ is to be born and verses 6 through 7 leave zero doubt as to the fact that Jesus Christ is in fact God. I will add some accents to the scripture for effect. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. Pay close attention here, please. Number one, wonderful. Number two, counselor. Number three, mighty God. Number four, everlasting father. Number five, prince of peace. Did we notice the mighty God and everlasting father part? Hmm, difficult to miss. Then verse seven continues. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, that would be King David, and over his kingdom. We have just been told that he, Jesus Christ, is everlasting. If the Father chose to do so, he could cancel out any created being, although thankfully he has mercifully made provision for those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord. But Jesus Christ himself is everlasting because he is the everlasting Father. Also, as far as Jesus never claiming to be God, we must refer to John 10.30 in which Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. Also, the Apostle John, book of John, says this, verses 1-14. through 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Note, the term Word is a definition and name of Jesus Christ. This scripture in John makes it abundantly clear that the word of God, who by divine plan sent his word into the womb of a virgin. The word was and is Jesus Christ, an individual, both 100% man and 100% God. John 1, 3 goes on to tell us why. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then in verse 14 we are told, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Back in Genesis one 1-3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, my emphasis added, God said with his voice, with his word, Let there be light, and there was light. The portion of God's personality, who is his Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the deep, and the portion of his personality, that is his voice declared, made in order, spoke his word, and something that did not previously exist became reality, and light became. In the first very three scriptures of the Holy Bible, we are introduced to God the Father using his Holy Spirit and his voice, his word, to create the heavens and the earth, beginning with creating light. One God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember in John verse 14, in which the Bible declares that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Who else ever did that except for Jesus Christ? No one ever. Then there's the scripture in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. An absolutely true statement. God is not three gods. He is one. But here's the mystery. God computes math differently than most men. In school, we learn that 1 plus 1 is 2, plus 1 is 3. That's the math you want when computing your monthly savings account. The question is simple. Does God think about things the same way as his created beings? Once again, the prophet Isaiah comes to our rescue in chapter 55, 8 through 9, God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We hear about new math all the time these days, but how about old math? Very old math. God's old math. Because here is the way he figures it out. In relation to the Trinity, one times one is still one times one is still one. One God in all, no violation of Deuteronomy. So why would God do that? Why is it necessary for him, one God, to identify himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Here's a very simple explanation for you if god's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts it is not even remotely possible for mankind with our finite little minds to really understand all that the creator of the universe really is so mercifully he demonstrates himself to us in three distinctly different personalities so we his created beings can have an opportunity to understand the not understandable by breaking down his one being to us in three different personalities it allows us to grasp to a far greater degree who God really is, and how he chooses to work with his created beings. Jesus Christ is not a created being. There was no human father involved in Mary's virgin birth. The Father in heaven literally implanted his very own seed and DNA into a virgin's womb. Some might say, God can't have DNA because he's a spirit. Well then again, the Bible tells us we are created in the image of God, so if we have DNA. Let's ask him when we get there, but for now, let's act and stand in faith that God knows what he's doing. If Jesus' DNA could be tested today, we would clearly see Mary's family tree represented, but on the Father's side, if any DNA at all, it would be off the charts. Not recognizable by human scientific standards. To put it another way, God temporarily took off his heavenly royal vestments and implanted himself into Mary's womb. Of course, God is also omnipresent, which means he is capable of being in all places at the very same time. Why? Why was it necessary for him to do that? Well, the same question holds true for Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. Why was that necessary? Could there not have been another easier way? Mankind always wants to do it better than God, but for those who have faith, we realize that God's way is best when we understand it or not. I also have lots of questions about why God has done what he has done, but I never, ever question his decisions. I just accept them as fact through faith. A short story I am sure some of you have heard will demonstrate the reasons behind God becoming man. I don't really know who the original author is of this tale, but whoever it was was brilliant to come up with this simple way of explaining the unexplainable. One day, a dad and his little son were walking along the sidewalk and saw an ant hill. The ants were coming out the hill, walking around it in a single line, and each one taking a minute of a discarded peanut butter and jelly sandwich, retracing its footsteps and going back down the hole. After watching for a while, the little boy wanted to help. He took his little finger and drew a line through the anthill so when the ants came up, they could see the sandwich and take a shortcut in their appointed tasks. The ants ignored the easier way and continued in the line around the anthill and repeated their tasks. The little boy slid one of the ants onto his finger and gave him a ride directly to the sandwich through the hole that he'd created for them. The ant hopped off, retraced his footsteps, got back in line, and continued following the much longer route. At this point, the little boy was, to say the least, nonplussed and asked his dad why he could not show the ants an easier way. The dad said, well, son, maybe you would have to become an ant and lead them into the easier way. So that's the answer. God chose to become an ant in the form of a baby who grew to be Jesus Christ, who is then able to lead mankind into an easier way. To do what? To have a relationship and everlasting eternity with him as father lastly no the word trinity is not in the bible but neither is the word bible in the bible nor is the word responsibility and yet the bible is full of responsibility the word rapture is not in the bible either or is it anti-rapture folks make that claim all the time but could it be that they are not serious students of the bible or its history the latin vulgate bible was premier from the late 4th century until the 16th century That edition uses a Greek word translated into Latin, and the word describing the events of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in Latin was rapio or "rapmir," which means, literally, caught up or taken away. It was later translated into English as the word rapture. A constant war of words over the Bible can be very confusing, so once again, check the, the source, and better yet, ask your qualified Christian full gospel pastor before you become confused by your friendly neighborhood door knockers. All of the following scriptures reference the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together as one entity. All three are strictly phrased in the male gender in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament the Father is always the Father, never in female form. The Holy Spirit is always referred to as He and never it. Matthew three sixteen through 17 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Ephesians 18, 4 4-6, 5, 18-20, 1 Peter 1-2, Jude 20-21. and 21. Each of the three divine personalities of God possess separate and distinct personality characteristics, and are clearly distinguishable from the other two, but yet together in all things which can clearly be seen in the following scriptures, John 14, 16-17, 26, 15-26, 16-7-15. 26, all three are equal in power glory and being in each is called God John six twenty seven Hebrews one eight acts five three through four. The next time someone tries to tell you that Jesus Christ is not God, refer them to Acts chapter five verses three through four. but to the Son he the Father says, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever." You can also refer to the following scriptures which clearly demonstrate that all three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit possess divine attributes. James 1:17, Hebrews 13:18 and 9:14. Each of the three personalities performed divine works as in the case of John 5:21 and Romans 8:11. Each received divine honor as stated in John 5:23 and 2 Corinthians 13:14. While you're at it, please refresh yourselves in the passages of the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53, and then look back to Isaiah 44, 1 through 8, in which God the Father is speaking through his holy prophet and says in verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 11? See below. And besides me there is no other God. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Redeemer, and according to these passages in Isaiah, Jesus is therefore God. I don't want to bury this article in scripture, but study will reveal a great deal more for anyone who looks and does not have some sort of ulterior motive or predetermined ideas. Instead, let's tackle an answer to one more of the objections from the non-Trinitarian crowd. Namely, the statements in the gospel accounts in which Jesus said things like John 5.30 and 8.28. 1. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own but the will of the Father who sent me. 2. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. First, as to the second statement in John eight twenty eight, please refer to the book of Revelation in which Jesus Christ, who is speaking in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, clearly says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Only the Creator is the Almighty, never a created being. Also, back in Exodus 6, 3, God the Father refers to himself as the Almighty. Once again, difficult to miss. Both Father and Son referring to themselves as the Almighty. And in reference to John 5.30 and similar other scriptures uttered by Jesus, please take careful note of the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus frequently taught in parables. A parable is a story that demonstrates a poignant, emotionally moving issue or point. For nearly all of my career as a pastor, I took a page out of Jesus' book and frequently told stories to demonstrate scriptural issues. It works very well. Without painting with too broad a brush, many of the non-Trinitarians will claim that the Gospels are filled with error because they appear to disagree when it comes to Jesus' personality and the manner in which he worked in his earthly ministry. Once again, not so. First of all, there are zero errors in the Bible, and that includes the four gospels. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But many people have not understood a very basic point about the four Gospels. What they have in common is that they are all about Jesus Christ. But each has a decidedly different, overarching theme. For example, in the book of Matthew, the theme shows Jesus as Christ the King. Mark demonstrates Jesus as Christ the servant. First, as a servant to God, and secondly, as a servant to mankind. Yes, Jesus does say he can do nothing apart from the Father, It is clearly a message and way of teaching mankind to follow in his footsteps. He is clearly demonstrating a point much to the same way that he did so in the various parables. Then in Luke, the theme changes to Christ the man. Remember that in his divinity, Christ is 100% God, but he also walked upon this earth as 100% man. He came to give us hope. He came to give us a demonstration of what a holy and righteous lifestyle looks like. He came to provide his own substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary to provide us with something we can never provide for ourselves. Forgiveness of sins and everlasting salvation in eternity with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for evermore, Fellowship with the King of kings and Lord of lords at no cost except to himself. For anyone who will repent and accept this free gift because Scripture tells us that, John 14:6, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, the theme in the book of John is incredibly important. The entire book demonstrates Christ and his deity. John alone records the Great I Am declarations, all spoken by Christ himself. 6.35 I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 8.12 I am the light of the world. Note, remember Genesis 1, three. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 10.7 Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 10.11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does the name I am have to do with the Father in heaven? Please look back to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter three, verse six, where God was speaking with Moses. Moreover, he, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Israel. Then the fate, accompli in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. If the Father God speaking to Moses is clearly the I am, then who do you suppose is Jesus Christ, who six times in the Bible refers to himself as the I am? Also of interest is the fact that I am statements appear at least 12 times in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms and Isaiah. All in reference to the Father. But then in John chapter 8:58, Jesus Christ, while speaking to the Pharisees, he says, "Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Abraham lived very many generations prior to Jesus walking the earth, but in John 8:56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Obviously, Jesus, in the form of the word of God, was with God in the beginning when he met Abraham. Folks, do not be deceived by people who falsely claim that Jesus Christ is not fully God. He is God, and he is the great I am. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Remember that the Bible is 100% correct and always, always explains itself. And please remember two things for your own benefit. We as individuals are responsible for knowing the Word of God so we may not be fooled by anyone. James 3.1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, that would mean of the Word of God, my emphasis added, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. If you are attending any kind of fellowship who teaches a no-trinity doctrine, get out now and find a full gospel fellowship. If you are a teacher of the word who is teaching a doctrine of no trinity, repent now before it's too late for you. If you are denying Christ as God, you are also denying some of all that God is, which includes his Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 32. Be forewarned. God bless. Pastor